0: Examination Podcast. My name is Joseph Bios, And I'm Dane Phillips. Dane, how are you? Happy New Year. I'd be doing better if Amber was here to do the welcome, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> Amber, Amber is not with us today. Uh, she sends her regards. She's uh, fulfilling her mommy duties. she there's got those mommy duties. And so Dane uh, and I are back um, without our, our best co-host, but we certainly appreciate you listening. We appreciate you listening to our end-of-the-year review episodes that apparently did really good numbers. We or we're, the Golden Gavels. Yeah, the Golden Gavels. Uh, we're very proud of it. So if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to that episode. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we had wine and enjoyed each other and it was, it was a good time. Next year sure
1: we can have Ricky Gervais, uh, <laughs> yeah, help us with like, yeah, we'll the, have, the monologue we'll, for Right. We'll have Golden a whole big host.
0: I want it to be on a stage somewhere in Colombia. Um, but we're not going to waste any time today. We have nothing but illustrious guests, but this week's guest is probably one of the more illustriouser illustrious illustrious um Dane tell us who we have (laughs) absolutely our illustrious guest this week
1: is none other than Adair Burroughs she is currently running for congress against a 17 year incumbent representative Joe Wilson in the 2nd district Uh, it's primarily Lexington County some Richland County and Aiken County and she is originally from the small Barnwell County town of Williston and then she became a math teacher at Malden High School after graduating from Furman University Uh, determined to effect change for South Carolina's children at a policy level she left the South for Stanford Law School went all the way over to the other (laughs) coast where she became the president of the Stanford Public Interest Law Foundation and editor-in-chief of the Stanford Law and Policy Review this is a law school for those who are listening who wouldn't know that it would shred the application of (laughs) Joseph and I That's very if if, if we even sent it but we didn't (laughs) I was smart enough not to send it likewise yeah we get some bonus points for that <laughs> turning down big salaries at corporate law firms a began her legal career at the united states department of justice in washington dc where she represented the american people by going after corporations and millionaires who cheated on their taxes well that uh, feels pretty good <laughs> to even say it uh she also served as a clerk for the u.s district judge uh, richard gerbil in charleston and for the last 3 years she's been the executive director of Charleston Legal Access a nonprofit sliding scale law firm that helped that she helped launch with the mission of providing access to justice for low income families. The list goes on. She's got many accolades. It's truly our uh, a pleasure
0: and an honor to have her here. Just thank you for being on the show.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm <laughs> really excited.
0: So, I want to talk a little bit because we've had uh, individuals here from SC Legal Services. You Before we get into the politics thing, we have listeners in Charleston all across the state. Can you tell our listeners about Charleston Legal Access? What does that organization do? What is your role in it? And if anybody needed help from Legal Access, what could they do?
2: Yeah, so we, when Trust and Legal Access launched, it was specifically to fill this gap between free legal aid and the private market. Right. So um, if you make twenty or $30,000 a year, you make enough that you don't qualify for free legal aid, but you're a big far trip away from being able to afford five or $8,000 retainers. So we wanted to fill that gap. We really felt like if we provided legal access and attorney access at some critical moments in people's lives, we could prevent the fall into poverty. We could preserve homes. We could preserve transportation. We right. could preserve income streams and really help people maintain self sufficiency. And so that was a gap we wanted to fill. And while we stepped in,
0: I was a former public defender and, and Dane, was an appellate public defender and, so. a, and, and, a and oh yeah you were Lexington too defender. so we know kind of about working with the indigent people and I know part of the issue is finding the attorneys that want to do that you know in Charleston especially where there's such a income gap between the biggest, you know, most well-paid attorneys, how difficult is it for you to find people who will help out with these individuals who don't have a lot?
2: So our cases are all run by staff attorneys. So we have um, volunteer attorneys that do our intake and do a lot of vetting for us, which are a lot of um, especially young attorneys who just want to see different areas and stuff. And they are an incredible help to us, but actually running the cases we all do with staff attorneys Mm. and have an incredible team from a variety of different law schools, actually, and we think we provide representation as good as you can get anywhere in the state, and I'm very proud of that, that our clients get that type of representation.
1: And to follow up, what's some of the practice areas that you cover at Charleston Legal Access?
2: So we pretty much do everything civil. We see a lot of, of course, like landlord-tenant, a lot of property And we do plaintiff and defense on the civil side. So, on the plaintiff side, we see a lot of property cases that are valued maybe five or $10,000 that are just too low value for the private bar to be interested, but for the people we're serving is an incredibly large sum of money. On the defense side, we represent a lot of like sole proprietorships, small businesses. I represented, for example, a guy that did hardwood floors. So, he's working for himself, but he can't afford normal kind of corporate legal representation for issues that come up for him. Um, so we do both of that. We do almost everything we do. We've been in probate and family court. We've represented victims of domestic violence, but most of wow. our stuff is really civil. We don't do any criminal and we do very limited family.
0: I want to back up because one, I used to work for Denmark Tech. So i actually been to Williston. I've been to the high school and everything. So I know a little of where you come from. And somehow that got you came from there to now running for Congress. I wanna talk a little bit about, or talk to us a little bit about why Stanford, why DC. And then why back to South Carolina? Like, t- Take us through that trip. What? And by the way, also a math major? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, yeah. practicing law.
1: It's great. Right. And we noticed that you are a self-described
0: math nerd. Right. That is not... Many lawyers would not have In that In fact, she's of, probably our first on this podcast that has been a, a math major and a math nerd. Everybody else runs for math.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I love math. So... I went to Furman on scholarship. Like, I mean, I grew up in a double-eyed trailer and I really did not know, I didn't know how I was going to compete in a wider world, what it would look like. Um, But I got to Furman and the way I became a math major was at my junior year, I had taken a math class every semester and it was like, I have all these math hours. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should just be a major, right? Because um, uh, I really did truly love math and the beauty of it and problem solving. I'm a real problem solver at heart, and that's I like figuring things out. Um, so that was the math major piece. I thought I was going to do education work. Inez Tenenbaum was a real kind of role model for me and mentor, and she was actually the reason I ended up at law school. I had um, I was a high school teacher during her Senate race and right. had volunteered for her and had had a time to like have dinner with her one time. And she was like, you know, I really found this law degree helpful for me in the policy world. And that was the first time I had considered going to law school and what got those juices flowing. And um, so then once I decided to do th- that, it was like, where? And so I applied to a lot of the top schools just to see, I was curious, sure. I wanted to know. Um, That's the
0: most modest answer yeah. for somebody right. who ended up at Stanford. But go on, I'm sorry to what interrupt you. I was
2: really curious. and um, I could have been curious too. They would have said no. And I always knew I was going to be back in South Carolina. Right. And so I viewed law school as a chance to have three years to get a totally dis- different perspective, to live somewhere totally different and see what it's like. Um, and so... The Northeast was really cold, and Stanford was very warm and sunny when I visited in January, and um, I wanted to have a totally different experience and had a great time out there.
1: So obviously you answered one of the questions about the transition from being a high school teacher to going to being a Stanford Law School student, but other, I mean, your mentor, Ines Tenenbaum. You're going through that. You see that. Did you think you were just going to go to law school and then go back to education in some way, and then you just like you said, use that yeah. experience to help you in, you know further your career in education?
2: I did. I fully expected to be in the educational field. While I was out there, um, I was actually the lead education researcher for Mayor Newsom, who was the mayor of San Francisco at the time's transitional youth task force in education. I did a, that's where I thought it was going to be. And then I had this really incredible tax professor and, um, he has been a role model for me actually since a big mentor for me. He actually hosted an event for me in the campaign recently. And he was one of the first people that called out tax shelters and how much it was going to cost us. And, um, he did it very early before people really realized it was a problem and, I became morally indignant about these tax shelters. At the time, justice was losing them. They'd lost some early cases. Um, And I felt like my daddy worked hard and paid his taxes like everybody else should too. And I was a math major. So I was like, I can figure these things out and explain it to a judge. They try to make them complicated, but it's not (laughs) really. It's just a big circle of money. I was like, I want to go and work where we can take down these shelters. And so I spent my second summer of law school sitting outside the offices of like all the senior litigators in the tax division and um, loved it and got on some of those cases and went off to the tax division.
0: So looking at it now, it seems kind of perfect. Like you're a math major, you work for justice to try and bring down, you know, these millionaires is how was that working in DC? And again, why come back to South Carolina? I'm curious about
2: that. Well, South Carolina was home, and right. we always knew we'd come back. I got married while I was in law school to a firming grad who was from Tennessee, and I don't. I think we could have defaulted maybe into staying into DC longer, but once mm. we had kids, that pressure—it's
1: like the mob. It's like, <laughs> it like, it pulls you back, back in. in. Yeah, I mean that's it's the thing. You can't back,
2: get away. yeah. And there was this one day, so my husband worked on the Hill. Actually, he was. Investigative counsel for a Senate committee, and he called me one day and said, "Adair, like we have a hearing tomorrow. I have all this work to do for the senator. Can you pick up our kid?" And I was like, "Well, actually, I'm in California doing depositions, so making (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be a little hard." Um, And just really felt like we like wanted and needed that village, especially for the type of like careers we wanted to have. So we started looking for ways to get back here.
1: Go in that transition. You're you're in DC right before you get back to South Carolina. Did it feel as good as it sounds to go after corporations and millionaires? (laughs) Because to me, it 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 feels pretty good just to even say it that you get to go after them (laughs) and really hit them where you know they're so used to obviously exploiting people that it felt good that you got to exploit them for a little bit.
2: Yeah, well, and just to hold them accountable. I'm really big on accountability and. Yeah, it felt good. And it turned out, I mean, tax division was a great place to start my legal career because I got to argue my first summary judgment motion in federal court a few weeks after I was barred. And I got to do trials and all of that really early. And so it turned out I went for this one reason, but it was such a great place to learn the practice of law with some really incredible litigators to learn from, but also a lot of personal responsibility where I could just take um, small cases and run with them. So it was a nice balance of the two. But, yeah, it was fun. And saying <laughs> I represent the United States of America is, like, a pretty cool thing.
0: So that's a great segue to <laughs> representing the United States of America. Um, you're now running for Congress. And there is a I'm, – I'm saying that like she doesn't know. <laughs> uh, you know, there is an incumbent who's been in for a long time. It obviously would be a daunting task for anyone. For somebody who is a novice to politics, I imagine even more, why run?
2: Well, one, because there was no one else that I thought was going to get in and kind of raise the kind of money it was going to take to do this. And when I started having conversations about this, a little over a year ago now, it was December of 2018, when conversations started coming up. I started talking to people in the world about running, and the conversations were the same thing was coming up over and over again in the conversations. And they were the same things that came up when we launched Charleston Legal Access. And it was, look, this is doable. It's going to be a heck of a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Like this is going to be hard. Are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, Oh, that's built for me. Right. (laughs) Like we just did this one time and we built this organization that's helped for 450 families to the tune of one and a half million dollars back in the pockets of working families. And I look back and people said the same thing then. You have this great federal practice career. Like, are you sure you want to start a non-profit startup nonprofit? Like, it, it's going to be hard. And it's like, yes, but like, that's... That's what I'm built for, like doing these hard things that other people aren't willing to do. Like, let's go out and do them because that's how we're going to change the world. That's how we're going to make things better for people here.
1: So definitely the challenge of it, uh, as soon as someone basically said, it's doable, but <laughs> they, <laughs> and once they added that adversity there, then you had, there wasn't <laughs> no, was looking, yeah, no looking back. All well, that. it's
2: that no one else is going to do it. Right. This is, this is my, this is a comparative advantage. It's like when you see things that, that have risks to them and they're going to require this kind of work, a lot of people just aren't willing to step up. And it's a thing I can say, you know, is it hard? Yeah, I've done some hard things. Watch me. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have just an incredible village. Every point in my life, people have stepped up and helped me get get to the next level and, um, and they're doing it now. And so, yeah, I feel like that, that was a piece for me. If it were going to be easy, I felt like there would be people in the race that could do it better than me and could go out there and be a great representative. But because it was hard and because it was a risk, we didn't have the type of high quality candidate to come out and ask this guy that's like done nothing for almost two decades. And so, Yeah, I'm
0: in. And so, for those of you listening who don't know, and Dane touched on it before, we're talking about Aiken County, Lexington County, parts of Barnwell, or parts of Richland and Orangeburg County, and then Barnwell County. So, if you are in one of those counties to listen to us, and we do have listeners all throughout those, um, they can always go to, and we'll give this website again at the end, adareforcongress.com, and find out more about you. Um, There's a. As a former teacher, I know that in in doing our background research, I know that education is a big deal for you. Um, I don't know if you know this. I'm the general counsel for Midlands Tech, so education means a big thing for me now. There are a wide gamut of proposals and things that people have said, this is the issue with South Carolina um, education. These are the things we need to address. If Adair Burroughs gets elected to Congress, how is that going to change any of the education for anybody in South Carolina.
2: Well, and one of the things, this is more about the rural communities in my district and I'm from rural community and I'm very, um, very adamant to making sure that they get some representation and that we want to do rural broadband. And what we hear from um I have a good friend of mine from Williston who's done incredible STEM work with students in the organization called Dig down there in Barnwell. If you're from Barnwell, check it out. Um but it's so hard because they don't have access to broadband internet. Right <laughs> like, that's, that a is, that's a that problem. That is a
1: massive problem.
2: Um and it's a problem for small businesses and other people too. And so that is a is a hard and firm commitment that I want to work on and get broadband throughout the district when I'm in there. Um, on higher education, the cost is just prohibitive now, right? Uh, for so many people. And what we've seen when I was a kid, like a Pell grant could pay for a semester at Aiken tech for instance, and that's not true anymore. And so I was a Pell grant kid. And I think Pell grants need to be in line with the current, uh, cost of education. I think we need to have transparency on some of, uh, for some of these higher education institutions on your return on investment, you know, and what your prospects are when you get out and, um, and on student loan stuff. My husband and I have lots of student loans. <laughs> we make use of this federal program. Th-
1: these two guys sitting across from yeah. <laughs> you have lots of student loans.
2: It's, it's a big deal, um, especially for our generation. Amen. And there's a lot we can do there to help.
1: And so as far as, your goals and plans for the second district, what's kind of that first plan of action, those next steps that would be taken to move the needle coming out the gate? What's what's those forefront issues that you're ready to jump into?
2: Yeah, so the first is rural access, like we talked about broadband specifically, um, tackling healthcare costs. That's what I hear from people more than anything else, specifically prescription drug costs. And I actually had a friend of mine that told me, a year ago now that was like, I can't have kids until my mom passes because I can't pay for her prescription drugs and pay for daycare at the same time. Like that is heartbreaking heartbreaking, and a devil's choice. Right. So trying to deal with some of these costs, especially, you know, for these people caught in the middle between caring for aging parents and then trying to care for kids, like letting Medicare negotiate drug costs, we think will affect that in a big way. And that's a big deal for us. Um, And the third thing I really want to do, and it's going to be hard, is look on ways to get corporate and dark money out of politics. It's just... It's time. It's It's time. time.
1: (laughs) That time has passed. It should have passed. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, And so we don't take any corporate PAC money. That's over half of what... Um, my opponent, his campaign money is, and it, it makes him a representative of those national corporations, and he's not voting with the people of his district, and so that's a big deal for us and something um, we work with in Citizens United, that organization, a lot on ways we can get some of this money out of politics so that it's more fair and representative people here, so those are kind of my, my initial first big focuses.
0: I mean, I did see that he was successful at renaming the post office, so... We all of our or a lot of our listeners are young attorneys, young law students, and I imagine that a lot of them, not all of them will look at you as somewhat of an inspiration as be a young woman getting into politics. What's something that you learned running for office that you didn't expect?
2: Oh, that's a good one. Thanks. (laughs) So. I'm very much one of those, like, do your homework kind of people. So this has actually not been a lot of huge surprises. Um, I knew it was going to be hard. One thing that I didn't know, and because you just don't know, is, like, how people are going to rally around you early, especially around money. We knew going in we had to raise significant money for this, and I'd never run for office before. Um, And so I felt confident that... People that had invested in like trust and legal access, for instance, or that I had worked with elsewhere, like they knew the possibilities of what could be done here and would invest. But you don't know. You don't really know (laughs) until you get there. And I have been humbled and very pleasantly surprised at how much support specifically from the legal community there has been to say, this matters, this is important, and we're going to help you do this. And it's been really, really great.
1: So with serving in this role, somebody when facing a 17-year incumbent, uh, what are the things that you feel that you're doing to reach, say, the voters who have just never quite even considered voting for anybody other than Joe Wilson for the last two decades? I mean, what, what are the few things that you feel are the the points that the you're, challenges that yeah, yeah that, that are out there the the hurdles that you got to quickly jump to to get right there in the forefront of those voters
2: yeah so we have i'm a big planner and we have a full campaign plan right with all the voter contacts tv social media mail um and field which is knocking on doors but when you talk about these voters, we will have voters that are independents and that are from the other, quote, political party. Um, I'm, I'm a Democrat. But we'll have Republicans that have already shown up at our events. Right. We had um, over 350 people at our kickoff event in Little Williston, South Carolina, in July on the high school football field.
0: That's amazing, actually. <laughs> and
2: we had Republicans drive from Aiken to see what we had to say Because this guy has done nothing for the people in the district. And so, in that sense, it's nice to have an opponent who's outright lazy, right? So people are willing to listen and to hear what we have to say and to learn that what we want to do is get things done. That's my goal. Let's get some things done here for people in the district. And people are ready for that. And they're willing to cross over in order to get that because it's about the people here and it's not about the big national football politics game. Right. One
0: of the, I think, claims to fame that uh, representative Wilson has, especially in the black community is uh, him yelling out, you lie at president Obama. There obviously is an opportunity with you with the minority community in uh, South Carolina. What are some issues that you feel that you can address, that you can help with minorities in, you know, other than the minor- the rural counties that you were talking about, but generally the minorities in the state that you believe that you can be of some assistance?
2: Yeah, so that's actually especially important to me. I've worked on issues of diversity and inclusion my entire career since my college days, um, and we have already actually been on a podcast with a group for Brothers Only, and we're doing a Black Business Roundtable. Because one of the things really important to me is to say, you are such an important constituency, let's see what your barriers are, and let's break them down. And so we're having those conversations now, because what I don't think I can do is walk in and say, oh, I've got all the plans, and I'm going to fix this for you. You don't
1: have all the answers. (laughs) This has
2: to be a collaborative thing, because... Because you're in a lived experience that I don't have, and we have to, when we're looking at policy solutions for these things, it has to be a collaborative policy policymaking uh, setup where people say, this is the issue I'm facing. Okay, now I'm a, a policy expert. Let me look at how we can break down the barriers that you're seeing. A joint effort. Yeah.
1: And so with this big task, having the national stage before you, had you, obviously we, we just kind of covered this a minute ago, but... Had local politics ever interested you, or did this seat just speak to you?
2: Um, I had always thought about maybe running for local office sometime because I've been very heavily involved in the community, and I right. always have. So I had thought about it from time to time. I had never expected to run for Congress, but this <laughs> this, this was. I mean, because you, you become on thing. a national stage, it's, right?
1: You know, you're going to have people from all over there trying to look for every little thing and make up all kinds of lies. Uh, you know, and, and we talked before we got on the podcast that you're about to really ramp up with the press and, you know, as far as... Uh what's you know what's your thoughts about having to now go through we talked about adversity i mean you're i mean really getting thrown there's no more
0: like (laughs) like if i like like to like drunken tweet sometimes i can't do that that, that's that's congress you know what i mean yeah i guess you could yeah i suppose but uh (laughs) yeah right i mean
1: the bar is set very low but uh so i mean you know that's uh, to me i mean personally trying to put myself in your shoes like i'm thinking oh god what would you know the effects it has on my family, and then you know all the things that comes with it, because you know on the national stage it just becomes it's intensified or multiplied. You know,
2: yeah, definitely. Eggs, right? And and your question about what surprised me in in nine months, I may have some new answers. <laughs> that <laughs> <that's true. laughs> Fair, because it. I mean, I'm sure it's going to get nasty before this thing is over, right? And I, I would think, say
1: that is a, maybe a sleeping sleeping bear right now. They're, 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 yeah, that the they're coming.
2: They're coming. My husband and I talked about that, especially because I was most worried about my girls. I have two girls, eight and five. And, like, what are they going to hear about their mama and how's that's going to affect them? As For me, myself, I think if I were younger, it'd be a lot different. But I am at a place in my life where... I am very comfortable in who I am and knowing who I am and like people can throw stuff and that's fine. I don't need like the approbation of the entire world. I just need to get stuff done for the people I'm here to represent. And so I think you have to approach it that way.
0: So we're running out of time. I do have a very quick question. You mentioned that you have two daughters. We've talked about law, law and mental health in the past. If your daughters came to you and your husband and said, we want to be lawyers one day. (laughs) It's a loaded question. What what would you say?
2: Um, I would say work in a law office first where you think you want to practice and see. And that's for any job, not just the law. And it's something that I think for mental health, it's got to be something that you're going to love and enjoy. And I think that's true also for the area of practice. And it's one of the reasons I did Charleston Legal Access. It's like, what did I most want to do? Because that's what's going to keep me going through hard days. And so, yeah, let's test it out before test you spend out. hundreds of thousands right. of dollars.
0: Adair, at the end of uh, every episode, we ask our guests for their favorite war story. Now, this could be from your time as a politician. It could be time from practice. Uh, anything that you uh, find could be funny, poignant, whatever it is. Um, if we ask you, direct examination podcast future Congresswoman Dare Burroughs, what's your favorite war story?
2: Um, wow. <laughs> my favorite. The one that comes to mind first is my very first deposition, um, which was in a shelter case and the party, the taxpayer flew to the deposition on his private plane. <laughs> and I walked into the deposition room and he looked at me and said, hey, what are you, like 12? And <laughs> that day I determined.
0: <laughs> when he picked himself off case, the floor. <laughs> no. We
2: were going to win. <laughs> yeah. um, and at the end of that case, he paid $6 million in taxes wow. and Wow,
0: that's a good one. That's a good war story. <laughs> that's a pretty good war story.
2: So, yeah.
0: she got the fire in her eyes like you know lightning bolts came down picture where it hurts that's right all six million
2: um well so yeah not a big talker just do it just do (laughs) it and
1: and next time you come on uh, i would love to go into we i hate that we're out of time the fact that when you were a law clerk with judge Gergel, that you worked on the dylan roof trial and obviously the implications of how significant that trial is as far as you know, the unfortunate history and everything that goes with it. And when future. she when she wins, and she we, comes back on.
0: You know, we've talked but, about this before. We're undefeated. As, we I you know, we didn't we talked about it before we started. Before the podcast, but, but that, we're undefeated. We told her. So she the knows and there. South Carolina knows and so now we're just leaving that out there. We're undefeated. No pressure. Um,
2: <laughs> oh, I intend to win.
0: <laughs> well, I will say this. play to win. I, I, I will say this. Dane is a... Uh, former... Ask the guy
2: for my first deposition. <laughs> <laughs>
0: See? <laughs> Look, if we have a, uh, a theme that we like on this podcast, we like taking shots at the uh, big dogs. We like taking shots at um, the status quo. And I think that we have a person, running, right. And we love, we have a person that is running for this office that um, is well equipped to do that. So thank you so much for joining us again. If you want some more information about uh, Ms. Burroughs or her campaign, you can go to Adair for Congress. That's Adair, A-D-A-I-R-F-O-R congress.com. Um, you can check her out on social media, Facebook will tag her on the on our social media, but you can find her on Twitter at Adair the Number Four Congress and on Facebook at Adair F O R Congress. Um, Ad- Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Thank you. That's on really the podcast. Hilarious. and we, I really want to
2: come back.
0: Yes. Well, <laughs> we'll no, yeah. you we're, have an open end, whenever you right. want to come back, um, you're more than welcome. Um, hopefully, Amber will you're be there. You're not a guest anymore. You're like, yeah, yeah, you're part <laughs> of the uh, direct examination <laughs> family. So uh, we'll have her back on to talk, uh, you know, about...
1: How she crushed her opponent. How she her. crushed
0: her opponent. There you go. Um, and remember, you can follow us at SC Law Pod on Twitter and Facebook. Follow me at Joseph P. Bias. Follow Dane at SC Crim Lawyer. And you can follow Amber at Red Judicata. Um, Happy New Year, everyone uh, listening. I uh, hope that everyone has a wonderful, restful, and amazing, and successful uh, New Year. And we will see you next week on the Direct Examination Podcast. Happy New Year.